Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, his latest, No Problem, Jim will be joining us as well. It is December the 31st, and on this day in 1975, James Riddle Hoffa, one of the most influential American labor leaders of the 20th century, was officially reported missing after he failed to return home from the previous night, though he's popularly believed to have been Victim of a mafia hit, conclusive evidence was never found, and Hoffa's fate remains a mystery. He was born in 1913 to a poor coal miner in Brazil, Indiana. Jimmy Hoffa proved a natural leader in his youth. At age 20, he helped organize a labor strike in Detroit and maintained an advocate for downtrodden workers for the rest of his life. Hoffa's charisma and talents as a local organizer quickly got him noticed by the Teamsters, and carried him upward through its ranks. Then a small but rapidly growing union, the Teamsters organized truckers around the country, and though uh, through the use of strikes, boycotts, and some more powerful, though less legal methods of protest, won contract demands on behalf of workers. He became a president of the Teamsters in 1957 when a uh, former leader was imprisoned for bribery. As Chief Hoffa was uh, lauded for his tireless work to expand the union and for his unflagging devotion to even the organization's least powerful members, his caring approachability was captured in one of the more well-known quotes attributed to him, You got a problem? Call me. Just pick up the phone. Hoffa's dedication to the worker and his electrifying public speeches made him wildly popular, both among his fellow workers and the politicians and businessmen with whom he negotiated. Yet for all the battles he fought and won on behalf of American drivers, he also had a dark side. In Hoffa's time, many Teamster leaders partnered with the mafia in racketeering extortion and embezzlement. Hoffa himself had relationships with high-ranking mobsters and was the target of several government investigations through the 1960s. In 1967, he was convicted of bribery and sentenced to 13 years in prison. While in jail, Hoffa never exceeded his office, and when Richard Nixon commuted his sentence in 1971, he was poised to make a comeback. Released on the condition of not participating in union activities for 10 years, Hoffa was planning to fight the restriction in court when he disappeared on the afternoon of July the 30th, 1975, from the parking lot of a restaurant in Detroit, not far from where he started his labor organizing career. His family uh, fled I should say, filed a missing persons report to the Bloomfield Township Police the next day. Several conspiracy theories has him floated about Hoffa's disappearance and the location of his remains, but the uh, truth remains unknown. One, of course, theory is he's born at uh, in Jet Stadium. <laughs> he's buried at Jet Stadium. And, of course, uh, his reputation splashes the, the culture at the Teamsters. It was never the best. But uh, right now, of course, we know that uh, the yellow trucking company is going under it, and in a large part because of the involvement with uh, the truckers' union with the Teamsters. Well, President Joe Biden appears to be facing increasing demands to declare a climate emergency, like the one declared for the COVID-19 pandemic that is devastating impact on the country, warns a top advocate for the U.S. oil and gas industry, <clears throat> They're leaning in that direction. Uh, U.S. Oil and Gas Association President Tim Stewart recently said, if you grant the presidency, president's emergency powers to declare a climate emergency, it's just like COVID. Stewart also said such a declaration would give the president vast and unchecked authority to shut down everything from communications to infrastructure. 
The White House uh, COVID emergency that was declared by President Trump in 2020 resulted in the closing of U.S. borders and required a vaccination for federal government employees. In the following months and years, with many businesses also shuttered, the country plunged into a record unemployment and inflation. This is bad news. You know, he formed uh, an uh, office for COVID emergencies or for uh, pandemic emergencies. This could be just the next one. And it's kind of frightening to think about if when uh, the president of the United States, who literally is uh, mentally not astute, could end up with this kind of power. Well, the American anti-trafficking activist whose story about trying to rescue children from human traffickers was depicted in the new box office thriller Sound of Freedom, says President Biden's border policies are incentivizing traffickers. The activist, Tim Ballard, started the anti-sex trafficking organization Operation Underground Railroad about 10 years ago. The border policies that we have in this country are actually incentivizing traffickers he said, if you're an unaccompanied minor coming into this country and you're released to anyone, it's very dangerous, he said. Sound of Freedom is the dramatization of Ballard's efforts to save children from sex traffickers in Colombia. And by the way, it's had over 150 million uh, attendance and, and more, more and more theaters are beginning to carry the movie, which is uh, great news. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, The Sound of Freedom. Well, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer showed his true colors as celebrating the one-year anniversary of President Biden's budget-busting climate bill by vowing a much bigger encore if Democrats gained full control of Washington in the next year's election. Even though we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, you ain't seen nothing yet, Schumer crowed. Uh, we're going to uh, do even bigger and better. It's hard to comprehend a bigger bill than the IRA which uh, Goldman Sachs says will amount to about $1.2 trillion in green energy giveaways, and the bill's costs go far beyond mere dollars. Dan Lashoff, the U.S. director of the World Resources Institute, said the bill has been transformative by embedding environmental justice initiatives into the budget and creating climate change industrial complex that could rival the Pentagon's influence on U.S. business. But in, the incredibly, in an incredibly negative way, the, the Green Energy Blitz has uh, so far been the biggest industrial policy flop in the world history. Some $4 trillion spent on solar and wind power still only provided one-tenth the amount of energy the fossil fuels do. So Schumer's promise to double down is very, very dis dictionary definition of throwing good money after bad. <clears throat> we can only hope. We've got to work hard to make sure that his party doesn't gain influence over the House as well as the Senate. <clears throat> you know, as well as the presidency. The Justice Department is asking the Southern District Court of New York to set aside, set a date for former Hunter Biden business associate Devin Archer to surrender to prison more than a year after he was granted bail. <clears throat> now, why is this? <clears throat> Excuse me, this could only be an intimidative, uh, intimidation tactic on the part, the part of uh, the Department of Justice. The request comes as Archer is set to testify Monday before the House Oversight Committee. Archer was granted bail pending an appeal of his conviction in the April 2022 after he was sentenced in February uh, uh, to a year and a day in prison for his role in a scheme defrauding Native American tribes. The Second Court of Appeals affirmed his conviction last month and again last week. In light of the foregoing, the government respectfully requests that the defendants be ordered to surrender at a date and time determined by the court to, facility, to a facility designated by the Bureau of Prisons to commence his term of imprisonment, the Justice Department wrote uh, to the New York Federal Court Saturday in a letter obtained by Fox News. Archer's counsel, Matthew Schwartz, said he believes it is premature to set a report date in light of his anticipated continuing appeal and newly discovered sentencing error that the government has now conceded. His counsel will file a response to the government on Wednesday. Short said that his client will testify as planned despite suggestions the Department of uh, Justice letter was an attempt to intimidate Archer. We're aware of the speculation the Department of Justice's weekend request to have Mr. Archer report to prison is an attempt by the Biden administration to intimidate him in advance of his meeting with the House Oversight Committee, Schwartz said in a statement. To be clear, Mr. Archer does not agree with the speculation, Schwartz added. 
In any case, Mr. Arch will do what he has planned to do all along, which is to show up on Monday and to honestly answer the questions that are put to him by the congressional investigators. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer said uh, that uh, Archer had an opportunity to be a hero when he testifies Monday. He has an opportunity to come tomorrow to the House Oversight Committee and tell the truth. My hat off to Devin Archer. When he shows up tomorrow, I know it's tough. I know it's been intimidated by the Biden legal team, but hopefully he saw what happened in the courtroom in Delaware last week. And there's good people in the justice system, he said, referring to how Hunter Biden's plea deal was uh, <clears throat> put on hold last week. He must have a lot of courage. Uh, Hunter Biden's, I'm sure he's concerned about his life and his safety. And uh, now you've got the Department of Justice trying to throw him in the slammer. Uh, this, these conditions. Again, no justice when we have a dual system of justice. The Biden administration pressured Facebook to censor posts about COVID-19, and then one White House official was outraged when a post was not taken down, according to documents published by the Republican Ohio Representative Jim Jordan. Jordan published documents subpoenaed by the Judiciary Committee on Thursday. One email reportedly showed a Facebook employee telling CEO Mark Zuckerberg and CEO Sheryl uh, Sandberg that the company was facing continued pressure from the Biden White House to remove content questioning the COVID-19 vaccine. Another email showed Facebook's president for global affairs, Nick Clegg, telling his team that a senior advisor to President Joe Biden was outraged that Facebook didn't delete a meme about COVID, according to documents. Uh, Clegg uh, allegedly told Slavitt that removing the post would re uh, represent a significant incursion in traditional boundaries of free expression in the U.S., but the Biden advisor countered that the post should be taken down because it inhibited confidence in COVID vaccines. Can you see what's going on here? This is They're simply trying to censor speech, free speech. Even if something is published that is incorrect, it should be able, they should be able to publish it on Facebook. And uh, this... Again, and, and by the way, all the information that received about the COVID vaccine was incorrect. Not all of it, but most of it was incorrect and misleading. So uh, again, it's attempt to try to censor free speech, and which is our First Amendment right, and that is just wrong. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. 
Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific Multimedia website is called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. It's great for kids of all ages, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Let's, uh, of course, for our listeners' benefit, uh, Mark is in Tel Aviv right now, and there's a lot of turmoil in Israel. So can you bring us up to date? What's going on? Absolutely, Bob. So when we spoke last week, the Israeli parliament was about to pass uh, the first part of this judicial overhaul, or um, and um, up to the last moment, there was hope that the government would compromise and it would either be delayed or it wouldn't be passed. But they went ahead and passed it in the most extreme uh, case that, that that was there. Uh, that's created, of course, tremendous disappointment, anger, however you want to describe it. That night, a couple hundred thousand people took to the streets. Saturday night, the same thing took place. And it's created this tremendous split, and it's a split that's, like so many things that have happened in history, it's not really based on reality. So what you have is, you have, you know, most of the um, upper middle class and middle class 100% against um, these changes, because basically what they do is they just give additional power to the government, eliminates any it eliminates part of the checks and ba- checks. There's no real balances in the Israel system, but eliminates some of the checks on the government uh, government's power, and of course the rest of their plans are to eliminate all the rest of the the checks. And then you have uh, supporters of the plan, which break into two or three groups. Um, there are those um, who come from the settlements and those places, and they they want to do things that they knew the Supreme Court would not. Uh, would not allow. Mm. There are people who it's basically, and this is where the most problematic group is, that, you know, our team. So it's our team, so I'm, you know, we're we're in favor of this legislation, and everyone who's against it are basically privileged, basically equivalent to white, to white males. I mean, that's not the Israeli term, but that's effectively what what's used. And what's happened is it's it's developed this ethnic aspect of it very much so that mm. particularly some of the um, Israelis from Middle Eastern origin uh, who are make up a lot of the supporters of the could are you know up against the court because the court is white privilege now it's not really it's not true the court is you know has a wide range of people and the whole ethnic issue in Israel really shouldn't exist I mean I remember 40 50 40 50 years ago in the 70s I guess that's very 50 years basically Sociologists said it would dis- disappear in uh, in a generation or two because of intermarriage. Because one third of Israelis marry someone of you know from from uh, Eastern or, or Western, you know, they make mixed marriages, so to speak. And so, in two generations, who is everybody? My yeah. my, my wife's mother. <coughs> my, my wife is half half. My daughter married uh, someone from from Morocco. Israeli from Morocco. So what you know? What are my grandchildren? It's, it's ridiculous, but yeah. it's used as a it's used as a political tool, and it creates anger and everything else relating to that, and that's very problematic. So it's divided the country very much along those lines. Um, where this is going to go, we don't know. Um, both um, you know Netanyahu desperately wants the power, which he hopes will keep him out of jail ultimately. 
So, so what's what's interesting to me is the, the individual, the pressure on individual Knesset members. It must have been huge. So uh, what you're describing is very unusual when you think about all the protests and the things that have been going on and uh, people, quote-unquote, sticking by their guns in, in the Knesset. Well, remember something. Israeli Knesset members are not responsible to anyone. And what do I mean by that? So the Israeli Knesset is made up of parties. When you go to vote in an election, you vote for a party. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, not, it's a national list. It's not a regional list. So you're voting nationally. In, the, in Britain, by the way, it's, it's a regional list. So you're voting within your region. So it's, you, there is some responsibility. It's a national list. Some of the parties, the people who are run are chosen by the heads of the party. There's no elections whatsoever. In the, in the um, areas where there are elections, it's basically within the party elections to represent somebody. And, of course, within the party, generally speaking, and you can look at the, in the United States, too, who turns out for primary election, the Houston. Now it's a, big, a larger number, but it's the pe- people who are most ideologically motivated, let's put it that way. And so... And even then, all they do is they get to choose who's on the list, and then the prime minister decides who's becomes a, who becomes a cabinet minister. The, they, the place you are on the list doesn't even determine whether you become a cabinet minister or not. So it's a very centralized power situation. That's part of the problem. In other words, there's no independent power source in Israel. The executive and the, and the legislative branch are basically one and the same. Interesting. That that is, in fact, it feels like in the United States that people are not, uh, the politicians aren't accountable to the people that elect them in so many different ways, and yet what you're describing is even worse in Israel. Much, much worse. Remember, ultimately, U.S. congressmen and senators are ultimately responsible, particularly congressmen. So congressmen can easily, if if a district opposes, you know, whatever he decided to do and it's important enough, they'll vote him out. They can vote him out. There's no problem. He has a direct responsibility to the people in his district. Again, the people in the Senate, it's a little bit less. I mean, it's to the state, but the state, of course, is more amorphous than than a uh, congressional district. And then in the United States, don't forget, you have something else that they don't have in Israel. You have state... um, you know, a state government, which right. doesn't exist in Israel. So, you know, you're certainly your state representative. I'm sure you know who your state representative is, right? You know, know uh, personally. Bob Rommel, absolutely. Yeah, right. I mean, oh. you're, you're absolutely right, though, because, uh, the, and of course, the states have a lot of power. They're, you know, again, the uh, petri dish for uh, democracy in America. Very much so. So, I mean, I think when, when you make the statements that American politicians and congressmen and uh, all levels are not responsible to people, I don't think it's right, ultimately. It does mean that we don't ultimately get sometimes the decisions that we want, you or me, in any, any given time. But, but in the United States, politicians are directly elected in, in, you know, in larger and larger groups, depending on you know, what platform. So obviously the state representative is the smallest, right? Yeah. And, or, you know, probably the county commissioner is even less, but you know what I mean. They're, they're various levels. And those people are not going to go against the will of the people if they want to be reelected. Mm. That's the reality. Mark, we so need to take I a think- little need to take a little break and you stick around? Absolutely. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
You're a valued professional RN. There's a path that takes you to the next level. Hodges University offers an RN to BSN program that, like you, is way above average. RNs with a BSN have a faster track to pursuing leadership positions and can see faster hourly rate increases than those with an ASN. You can earn your BSN with Hodges in just one year. Classes are online and start in August. Scholarships are available. Become the next level nursing professional. Do more. Earn more. Be more. Visit Hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They prepare elected officials to win, have winning strategies in the legislature, and you can find out more. Visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Mark. So, uh, update on Ukraine. What's going on? Okay, two things are happening. They First of all, they seem to, the Ukrainians seem to have broken through in a few places and are making substantial progress. It's not clear, you know, the fog of war makes it difficult to know exactly what's going on, obviously. Uh, one of the interesting things that's happening is they seem to be successfully destroying the bridges or making them impassable to Crimea. Uh-huh. And so the Russians are having a harder and harder time supplying their troops in Crimea. And so they're starting to really show it. And I think one of the interesting things today was the fact that Medvedev, the former uh, former president who switched back and forth with um, with Putin, made a statement today saying that if the Ukrainian counteroffensive is successful, we'll have to use nuclear weapons. Speaking so, of which, uh, Mark, what's happened with regard to the nuclear plant that was located in uh, Kiev, or, uh, not Kiev, but... Uh, outside the Zap- Zaporizhia plant, I think it's called. Right. Um, it's, it's still there. It's still not, it's not running, but it's connected up so it has backup power, and so it's not in any immediate danger, but the Russians theoretically have mined it. Um, it's a dangerous situation, but the Russians, remember, again, you know, people forget the fact, and that's also one of the reasons why the Russians are unlikely to use even tactical nukes, because remember the prevailing winds in Europe, Yeah. Uh, as they are in the United States, which way do they run? They run from the west to the east. Yeah. What's to the east of Ukraine? Russia. Russia, yeah. So, so um, you know, you, yeah, go ahead, Mark. you're much less likely to use nuclear weapons or blow up a nuclear power plant when the fallout's going to head your way. Great point. So uh, did, am I correct that the uh, Russians changed the uh, age for uh, recruiting? Right, they've increased the age for, in terms of um, people can get out of reserve duty. Look, they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. They're doing okay. They're doing better in defense than they did in offense. But... Um, the Ukrainians are quite determined, and the Russians, you know, the Russians ended the um, the grain deal, which is a real problem for a lot of Africa. It's a problem for Ukraine in terms of the exporting the grain, but it's a bigger problem for the recipients. Yeah. But then they went ahead and attacked the city of um, uh, the city of Odessa, which was a very historic city, historic city, and they attacked churches and all sorts of places. Um, and, uh, you know, again, what the Russians don't seem to understand is every time they do something like that, the Ukrainians are not likely to give up. They get angrier and angrier, and they're less likely to ever negotiate a settlement with them. It's, you know, counterproductive, to say the least. So what did I, did I read that the Saudis were trying to uh, arrange some sort of a uh, compromise? Some sort of a peace conference, but it's not really sure it includes both sides. It's more like... Well, here's the conditions for which we could reach a peace agreement. Yeah. Um, the, the Ukrainians, I think, are supporting their effort, um, but I don't think it'll go very far. I mean, uh, Putin has to decide he's giving up, and he can't really afford to do that. Yeah, in fact, I, I think as I recall the column that I read, that uh, the Russians didn't even show up <laughs> or to negotiate a settlement with that with that happened. So let, let's move to uh, what's happening in uh, Niger. That's kind of a... a Tragic yeah, that's thing. a sad point, actually. I mean, two parts to it, obviously. Number one, they had a democracy. They were elected elections, and everyone agrees they were fair elections. But the military decided, as has happened way too many times in Africa, that they want to take, take control. And so they staged a coup, ousted the president, and made some sort of stupid excuse that it's to fight terror better, or some version they're in. 
Niger is an ally of the United States in the fight against terror, and there are some U.S. small number of U.S. troops there as well to help in the fight against terror. Now, interestingly enough, the Organization of African Unity um, has basically um, threatened to send troops into Niger hmm. and to restore the president, and have demanded that the military let him out, let him out of jail and let him resume being president. So it's interesting, and it's interesting that there's enough of a um, uh, enough support for democracy in Africa these days that the organization is willing to take a stand and literally um, uh, threaten to go to war against these people in order to bring back to bring the president back. Yeah, which kind of raises the question in my mind: What's happened with the UN? What is their position with regard to Ukraine, Niger, and other situations around the world? Look, the UN has a problem in in some places, particularly when there's a Russian veto involved. Yeah. So, in terms of Ukraine, it's very hard to see what the UN can do because, you know, remember, looking back at history, the UN took the side of South Korea when North Korea invaded, and people ask, well, how did that happen? Well, it happened because the Soviets were boycotting the UN at that particular moment, so they didn't use their veto because they weren't there. Right. So that was like a uh, you know a fluke of history. The Russians, generally speaking, are creating problems these days. They refuse to renew uh, humanitarian efforts in Syria to bring food for desperately, uh, desperately hungry people. Uh, so they've refused that, and of course they've refused with, in terms of the uh, the grain shipments out of Ukraine. Uh, so the Russians try to be spoilers wherever they can. Uh, and so the UN is always limited when one of the mem- one of its um, Security Council members is basically the bad actor himself. Exactly. I mean, there's certain irony in the fact that Russia is sitting on the uh, Security Council and they're at war right now and, and, and aggressively uh, attacking uh, Ukraine. Right. Now, look, it's always been a problem. It's a problem all the way through the Cold War. The UN is most effective when it's dealing with an issue where there's consensus. Yeah. And every once in a while there are those issues. And, you know, I think um, one issue, based on how hot this summer has been, uh, you know, that will be an issue that there's more consensus in the world than there ever has been, and I'll, uh, I think we'll see more involvement of the United Nations when it comes to that. But again, it only works when there's consensus. When there's not consensus, the UN has a hard time acting. Let's move to uh, Japan and China. What are your thoughts? Okay, so the, so <clears throat> my thoughts are similar, but they're, they're started off by the information that came from Japan. Japan lost 600,000 uh, people population this year. Really? 600,000, yes. Wow. So that's a big number. What, what is the and reason? Would it be deaths or... Uh... The, the, the age, you know, they have, they've had uh, you know, a small number of children for the last 30, 30 40 years. Yeah. And as the population ages, people die naturally, and they don't die young particularly, but they die. And when, you know, remember, if, if you had one, one child per family... Um, people, you know, two people die, and they're not re- they're replaced by one, basically. What's the population of uh, Japan? Is it like thirty million or? No, it's more than that. I think it's closer to eighty million. I'm just uh, uh, that's a good question. I should have known that, but I think it's uh, hold on. Uh, six hundred people, six hundred thousand. Did you said six hundred thousand, right? Yep. Wow, that's a big number. According to ChatGPT, the population of Japan has what's slow. As of tw- uh, up, okay, as of 2021, it was 125 million. Oh, it's a lot. Now it's less. Thought. Yeah. So, but that's still a big number. Yeah, absolutely. That's the big number, and the reason I put the two together is because China's China's <laughs> is experiencing more or less the same thing, and uh, you know neither country has immigration. That's the other part of it. Japan is impossible to immigrate to. It's always been impossible to immigrate to. As a matter of fact, if you're not an ethnic Japanese, you cannot um, you cannot uh, get citizenship. I know I had friends who were born in Japan. Uh, their father was uh, a trader, and um, you know, he wasn't a citizen, but he lived there all his life. The kids were born in Japan. They were never able to get citizenship, and their father originally had Iranian citizenship. And when the Shah, you know, when the Shah uh, was ousted, he lost his Iranian citizenship, and he had to leave Japan. And the kids had to leave Japan because they didn't have a foreign passport anymore. That's interesting. And you know what? And also, it's con- uh, the attempts 
for illegal immigration into Japan and China is conspicuously absent. There just seems to be no effort on the Department of uh, Immigrants to, to go to those countries. Well, okay, so there's no interest in going there. I mean, look, you know, we, we uh, talk about the problems of immigration in the United States all the time. Before we talk about the problems, let's celebrate the fact that everyone wants to come to America, right? Uh-huh. Th- that's the starting point. Uh, they don't want to go to China. They don't want to go to Japan. They don't want to go to a lot of countries in the world, but they want to come to America. So that's that's a good thing in and of itself, right? Leaving aside all the problems it brings. Right. Um, and, you know, the United States has done well economically to a large extent um, because of immigration, because immigration brings two things. One, the immigrants themselves get counted, so the population doesn't go down because the, the birth rate of second and third generation plus Americans is dropped below two at two at this point, but immigrants have high birth rates. Yeah. So they have lots of children in the first generation, and a little less so in the second. By the third generation, they look like you know average American families, which is less than two. Yeah. Uh, so immigrants are what saved the American economy for the last twenty years. Absolutely. Um, so the, o- the only problem we have the policy. The only problem we have now is we just uh, need to make sure that it's legal immigration, not illegal. Absolutely, but the simple way, it's really simple. I, I've said this before. Just increase the number of legal immigrants uh, you give, the visas you give, and process them in the countries where people want to come. Yeah, and it, to simplify and streamline the, the uh, immigration process, I think is there's a lot to say for that, and it's pretty archaic. The system that we have right now makes it difficult, and so, therefore you have people that come here don't renew their visas because they're concerned they'd have to go back to their old country, and so we have a lot of illegal people here just on that fact basis alone. No, absolutely, um, but again, you know, even the current situation, however chaotic and however problematic, it's been good for the economy ultimately. Yeah. We don't have it. There's a low unemployment. Productivity is up. Uh, the country's growing. And part of the reason is because of immigration. That's not the whole reason, obviously. Yeah, right. But it's part of the reason. So we need to find a way of making, uh, eliminating the problem of illegal immigrants. Let's put it that way. And right. It, which which are massive. Immigrants. I mean, you have people who are terrorists. You have all people that are ill. You have all kinds of people coming in that we don't want here. I, I, shit, it's probably not... Five percent is probably not two percent, but still, uh, our it's a very it's a very small but substantial percentage. But don't forget, these people can come in as you know as tourists on a plane just as easily if they're really bad people. They get here the other way. That's true. Uh, you know, think about the nine eleven bombers. They didn't have to sneak across the border. They took a first class or a regular, or a tourist class ticket from Saudi Arabia or from Germany, arrived at Kennedy Airport or wherever they arrived, and here they were. And actually, and actually, uh, went to Tampa and took flying lessons in order to crash into the building. Right. Unbelievable. So, so you know, we 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 spend too much time where I mean, again, I'm not again, I'm not in favor of illegal immigrants coming across the Mexican border. Don't get me wrong, but when we're worrying about terrorism, etc., that's not really the problem. The problem is we need to know who's here. Yeah. That's the basic thing. We have to know who's here, keep track of who's here, and yes, be able to find those the people that are terrorists or, or criminals. And right. That's the most important thing. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. Mark, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. You say thanks so much, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Gain the skills you want so you'll be in demand by employers. That's what Hodges University's workforce readiness is all about. Choose your specialty from EV technician, automation, robotics, real estate, insurance, and electronics, to programming boot camps, supply chain management, and more. These classes are online, affordable, and focused on what you need to know. Learn more today by visiting Hodges.edu and clicking on Workforce Readiness. Because with Hodges University, you'll stay near and go far. 
you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. I hope you check out the website and get some tickets, some great performances. GulfShorePlayhouse.org is the website. GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Larry, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Our focus at uh, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, is on high school and college students, and we educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, private enterprise, private property, limited government, and personal character. We do that through our website, which is fee.org, and also through many in-person events on campuses and in schools all around this country and sometimes abroad. Again, fee.org, F-E-E.org, and I do encourage you, if you have somebody high school or college age in your life, I encourage you to encourage them to take a look at the uh, website and uh, get involved, fee.org. Larry, you wrote a column which is so appropriate and just sounds so much like today. It's a hero of monetary history. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. This particular hero dates back a long time ago, about 2,000 years ago. He was a Roman emperor by the name of Pertinax, P-E-R-T-I-N-A-X, And he came into office as emperor after a career as a military man and a senator, and also at a very uh, tumultuous time. Uh, In fact, uh, his predecessor, Commodus, had just been assassinated on New Year's Eve, 192 A.D., Hmm. and so Pertnax took office on the 1st of January, 193, and that became known as the Year of Five Emperors because before the year was out, several would be assassinated, including Pertinax, and uh, there would be five emperors in Rome within the space of one year. Not a very uh, (laughs) secure job, (laughs) to say the least. So, uh, uh, you know, here we have, I think this is the time of uh, bread circuses and uh, giveaways to the Roman public and, uh, you know, well past the time of a democracy in, uh, in Rome. Uh, what were the circumstances there? Uh, well, you're right, Bob. Uh, the old republic, uh, with its liberties that Rome had for nearly 500 years, was long gone. It expired, really, in the first century B.C. And so now you're in the midst of the empire with uh, an emperor at the top instead of elected representatives. And uh, a great deal of corruption, a lot of welfare statism with um, uh, the government buying the support of people by uh, passing out other people's money. And um, one emperor after another, beginning with Nero uh, around 55 A.D., had been depreciating the currency or debasing it. Uh, They would mix cheaper junk metals in with the gold and silver in their coinage. Uh, reducing the precious metal content so they could uh, issue more coins. But, of course, as the uh, precious metal content declined and more and more money uh, belched forth from the mints, it uh, led to uh, soaring price inflation. Pertinax was one of the very few emperors who decided, hey, this is dishonest. We've got to control government spending and cut it. 
And we've got to uh, increase, not decrease, the precious metal content of our coinage. And he actually did that uh, after all the previous emperors had steadily reduced uh, the silver content of the denarius, for example, the principal Roman coin. Pertinax uh, took the step to dramatically increase the silver content. Um, uh, so that, that was quite a remarkable change. He was trying to preserve the integrity of the currency. But that wasn't real popular with either the Praetorian Guard, uh, the uh, elite military unit guarding emperors. They wanted more handouts, and it wasn't popular with the general public either, who really liked, by this time, the lavish spending on the games and so-called Britain circuses. Yeah, so he, which led to his fate, I guess he was assassinated by the Praetorian Guard? Yes, he was. Oh, my goodness. It's, and, they, and then they promptly put up the emperor uh, position for uh, forbidding and uh, to the highest bidder. And Pertinax's successor was a man named Didius Julianus, who became emperor simply because he outbid the nearest guy for the job. Isn't that sad? You know, and so many similarities, though, what's happening. We had the Fed that's uh, printing money, just uh, expanding currency, expanding the the uh, uh, velocity of money here in the United States. And uh, the consequence is <clears throat> inflation, and the consequence is uh, kind of, uh, I think, are hurting our national security. Oh, no question about it. And since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, 110 years ago, uh, it has inflated away as much as 90% of the value of the American dollar. And along the way, you had uh, certain hallmarks that sound so much like uh, what uh, the ancient Roman emperors were doing, most of them. And that is, uh, for instance, Roosevelt seized our gold, Franklin Roosevelt, in 1933, made uh, monetary gold uh, illegal for Americans for uh, the next 40 years. And in uh, the 1960s, uh, under Lyndon Johnson, uh, the silver was taken out of our coinage. We used to have dimes, quarters, and half dollars in my lifetime and yours. Yeah. They were 90% silver. Now they're 0%. Unbelievable. Do I recall a fact, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure, but the, uh, that uh, for the first hundred and some years of the United States of America, we had something like a total of 5% inflation until the Fed was created, and then we had all this massive inflation since then. Does that, does that ring true? Uh, yes, it does, with the exception of the Civil War period, when both North and South went off of uh, uh, any pretense of a gold standard and printed a lot of money. Southern paper uh, money became completely worthless, of course, and in the North, uh, uh, the paper greenbacks fell by half in value. But other than that uh, five-year period, yeah, we pretty much had uh, silver or gold as our currencies with very little um, price inflation. Uh, that's what really takes off with the establishment of the Federal Reserve in 1913. Thank you, Larry. So I encourage you to visit fee.org, F-E-E.org. You'll find Larry's column there, A Hero of monetary history. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Murder Mysteries. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. ask yourself why people are the way they are. If you're fascinated by human behavior and you want to make a career of it, you know where you need to start? Hodges University with a bachelor's degree in applied psychology. Your professors are practicing professionals that bring your classes to life with life chat discussions and various projects. You know, having a deeper understanding of what motivates people can lead to careers in counseling, sales, human resources. Your passion can be your career. So get started today. What are you waiting for? Visit Hodges.edu or stop by their campus in Fort Myers. They're at the corner of Colonial and Winkler. Because with Hodges University, you're going to stay near and go far. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, Lulabee's Diner serves great breakfast and, and lunches. It's just superb. And now serving dinner on Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. The food is absolutely great. The menu is great. The value is great. Just if you like a nice uh, informal dinner, uh, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. at Lulabee's Diner. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He left uh, that position, he retired, and decided to start writing novels, and they are terrific. His first is Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and his latest, No Problem. Jim, Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. Um you know, I read the New York Times, so your readers don't have to. Uh, <laughs> your listeners don't have to, rather. But today, I mean, um, there's sparkling news for Donald Trump. You know, the New York Times did a uh, poll, a, a, uh, an election poll. Yeah. And Trump is just crushing the field. He, he has a 54% approval rate, and uh, the next closest candidate is... DeSantis at 17%. The Times points out. Now, I'm not a great uh, believer in polls, because remember, the polls pretty much counted Donald Trump out in in his first election run. Uh, The polls indicated that he he was not going to win. But the the polls, this pollster says that a candidate who has this kind of lead at this point in a in a primary season, never loses. So, so Trump is going to be the guy. Uh, so when he makes the argument that these other candidates are wasting money, Republican money, they are. I mean, I think I think these other candidates are pretty much trying to create a profile uh, for uh, 2028. <laughs> you know, they're 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 uh, you know they're just trying to garner attention for themselves, but I. I they have to see now that uh, uh, they don't have a chance yeah. of uh, defeating Trump. Now, the, uh, the news is also very good for Biden, despite the, um, the Hunter Biden drag. And the Hunter Biden drag is huge. Yeah. There's, uh, the New York Times again today has a, uh, a little mini-debate between two columnists, Brett Stevens and, and Gail Collins. Gail Collins is a, a, you know, a real left-wing crazy. Uh, she tries to dismiss the Hunter Biden case as, uh, you, you know, he c- committed minor offenses. It's no big deal. But Brett Stevens uh, is very skeptical. Uh, he thinks there's a lot of there's there's fire beneath that smoke and, yeah. and that it's doing real damage to, to Biden. Uh, but the economy is so strong and 
in part because of uh, uh, Biden's uh, reckless spending, but it's 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 actually helping him and the Fed engineer a soft landing. So that's very good for the president because uh, uh, we're not going to have, it looks like we're not going to have a recession during an election year. So, so you know, the bottom line is we're going to have a repeat. It's, it's Biden versus Trump again. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, the, the race essentially, I mean, the primaries essentially are over. Well, I'll, I'll make this comment, I, I, and I, I agree with you in, in your assessment of what's going on. Nevertheless, I defend the whole notion of having uh, primaries and having these candidates go to toe-to-toe to try and you know, win, the, uh, win the nomination. I think that's a good thing for the country, and we're going to hear some interesting debates. Ramaswamy is just outstanding. And uh, <clears throat> some of the other candidates are pretty good. Some aren't. <laughs> so, but uh, Trump, started, I, I don't know if you saw... Uh, his rally in Erie, Pennsylvania. Linda and I watched it. It was two hours of Trump, and he is just, he was so on fire. They had uh, the people so excited and fired up about his his uh, chance for becoming president again. Uh, he just he just captivates the people. Those who, fo- who follow him and love him and uh, want him to be president are ex- extremely committed. It's not the sticking their fingers in the air and deciding if, uh, which way the wind is blowing. They are committed to Trump. Um, the poll showed that one in four Republicans doesn't like Trump. I'm in that group. I don't like Trump. Uh, when it, uh, it, the poll showed that, that his supporters uh, don't think the uh, Justice Department charges are serious, that he really didn't do anything to da- endanger national security. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, uh, the prosecution is, is, is a joke. And the hunter, the lack of fervor on the Hunter Biden thing, it just, it just, con- it just convinces the Republican base that there there are two systems of justice in this country: one for Democrats and, and one for Republicans. The um, uh, Trump in debates, he everybody knows he's not a debater. He's he's Don Rickles, you know that's his shtick. Yeah. So um, so uh, you know the debates may help some of the other candidates like Ramaswamy come to, you know, gather uh, more admirers. But with polling numbers like 54% right now, uh, Trump's a, a virtual shoe-in. Well, Trump's not going to uh, debate, first of all. I mean, I think that's pretty well known. He's just, it, he, it makes no sense for him. He has... Uh, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. He has no upside for debating, and uh, you know perhaps some downside. By the way, R- Ramaswamy said he thinks uh, Trump is the best debater in the field, <laughs> for what it's then, worth. Well, I'll repeat. I think he's he's just uh, he's channeling uh, Don Rickles. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he, he's a, a master of the insult. But, but in terms of being fast on his feet in a debate, uh, that's not Donald Trump. Uh, well, interesting. But uh, anyhow, I'm, I'm just pleased that the, this whole process is taking place. And to your other point, uh, it, what is going to do anything for him in 2028, I think this there's also uh, posturing and preening for positions within the next administration. So uh, I think there's a lot to gain by getting, you know, get your, getting your face out there and, and uh, talking to the people. But again, it's it's also very good for Biden. The the economic story is is really good. I've I've been critical of the federal spending because I said you know it makes the Fed's job harder. The Fed probably had to increase interest rates more yeah. uh, uh, because of the federal stimulus. But on the other hand, I cheer the Fed. And you know the the and and the federal spending. If we can get by, if we can reduce inflation without a recession, because yeah. recession is really nasty for people, especially on the lower end of the economic ladder. But but I mean that's a real positive for uh, Biden, who 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 can mysteriously. It's not mysterious to me, but I mean he continues to poll very poorly. He's one of the most unpopular presidents. Oh, with, with good and, reason. I mean, it, it, I can't imagine somebody pulling the lever for uh, for a Biden and saying, you know, I think I want four more years of this. 
<laughs> I just can't imagine it, Jim. It uh, it would be astounding to think that here we've I've seen real wages go away. We can't afford the things that we used to afford. Uh, I think uh, I think Biden is toast, quite frankly. But I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Jim McTagg, I encourage you. His latest book is No Problem by uh, Jim McTagg, MC capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you pass the word on to your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.